It's the My Michelle Live podcast. It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live. Sci Tech Talk. My Taking Michelle the God story to a geeky place. Taking the God story to a geeky place. Here's Michelle. Hey, thanks for making My Michelle Live part of your day. This is intriguing as we take on Sci Tech Talk today. Animals who before were considered mute. Now, with technology being what it is, they're found to be making noises, maybe communicating, talking. And with artificial intelligence being what it is, think about it. It can translate what I'm saying to you in seconds. It can finish sentences. Heck, it can even write worship songs. With all of this technology, could we soon be able to talk to the animals? I could talk to the animals. Just right? So we're going to be looking at animal communication, what that to means to the evolutionary theory. And if it has, in some cases, people say this is absolute proof that of, of the origins of um, evolution, take it on. And so as we often do, we like to just go for the big guns. And so we have with us a gentleman who has been, my friend and been on this show for many years. He is the president and CEO of Reasons to Believe. He's the author of many books like, I think this one will come into play today, Humans 2.0, talking a lot about artificial intelligence. He's written books like The Cell's Design, Fit for a Purpose, and he is a biochemist. He's going to give us some reasons to believe, Dr. Fuzz. And now, Reasons to Believe. Buzz, good to have you with us. Michelle, it's always great fun to be with you. uh, I enjoy getting a chance to chat with you. It's uh, always a lot of fun. We never know where it's going to take us, but it always takes us somewhere good. And always (laughs) to the God story, which is at the heart and soul of what we are passionate about. This story is really interesting. There are have been many species particularly and this study started with turtles i have a a great affinity for sea turtles for honu as they're called in hawaii before they were considered just mute and because of technology there are sounds that we can't pick up with the human ear that they were able to pick up and realize that maybe these animals are actually communicating. Tell us a little bit. Yeah, animal communication is really very important, obviously, because animals are using this means to communicate, to convey valuable information to one another. Animal communication is used for mate selection, for parental care, for establishing territories and dominance, and even for warning the group of potential dangers. And, and so people are very interested in understanding the origin of animal communication and characterizing animal communication and really asking the question, and and this is shaped by the evolutionary framework, is animal communication stepping stone to what we do as human beings when we communicate through vocalization? And unfortunately, that behavior, vocalization, isn't something that is preserved in the fossil record. The way that evolutionary biologists try to figure out the natural history of animal vocalization is by producing evolutionary trees, and then they map on top of those trees certain behaviors, in this case, animal vocalization. And because there was the thought that a lot of animals don't 
in, aren't involved in vocalization or don't have that capability that for animals that live on the land, it really looked as if this vocalization emerged independently multiple times in the different major group of land animals, land vertebrates. And so this study comes along and says, wait a minute, <laughs> there are actually animals that we thought were non-vocal that actually are capable of vocalization. You mentioned turtles. They also studied, I think, like a lungfish yeah. and, and, and a lizard and, a, and an amphibian and concluded that this vocalization is far more widespread than they thought to the point where they think that maybe animal vocalization emerged even before there were land vertebrates with lungfish producing vocal sounds that they were using to communicate. So from an evolutionary perspective, this is a, an interesting discovery that really changes radically the way people think about this capability. And of course, there's that temptation to try to argue this is now stepping stone behavior that leads eventually to what we do as human beings. And maybe shows, as the argument goes, that it is all part of the evolutionary, the Darwinian evolutionary process, as opposed to what creationists, both old and new, believe that it that there is microevolution. There's changes right. within species. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but I'd like to expand a little bit more on how we're able to get to where we're at with technology. We can put sound recording devices on honeybees for crying out loud. That's yeah. incredible. So from the depths of the ocean to tagging birds, we have recordings that we never had before. And interestingly enough, do you remember, I, I have a picture of this. Do you remember a guy named John Lilly? Do you remember uh. that name? I don't, actually. Okay, so John Lilly was a guy in the 1960s who was a big proponent of LSD, and he literally oh. injected LSD into dolphins. He filled a house with water so he could live next to dolphins, and he was convinced that he could talk to the animals. So he had some really radical, of course it happened in the 1960s, serious, <laughs> but he really believed he could talk to the animals. But now, this is the interesting part. With all of the data that's coming in, folks, we have no way of processing it without artificial intelligence very quickly. So what will artificial intelligence be able to do? They're saying that soon we'll have what's called a Dr. Doolittle machine. If you remember Dr. Doolittle, he's the doctor who could talk with the animals. So this is some of the technology is just astounding aside from what we're going to dig deep into what we can find and figure out from it, Fuzz. Yeah, yeah. This idea of using artificial intelligence to maybe crack animal communication is absolutely intriguing. And it's, I think that the technology is going to be comparable to using artificial intelligence as a way to translate from one language to the other, where you just simply match up meanings. Yeah. And then it's a Google it's, Translate for your. Exactly. You would have to monitor the behaviors of animals and try to correlate those behaviors with certain sounds or comment sound combinations that they make. But it seems to me to be quite conceivable that at least at a rudimentary level that we would be 
be able to be able to communicate with animals and is it even possible for us to take to take the things that we say and translate it for the animals as well to put our concepts our thoughts into a form that the animals would understand what we're saying it, it's fascinating to think about that prospect and it seems like it's something that is is doable if there's enough money and motivation. Everything's and doable that. with about enough money and motivation, it would seem. the Some of the interesting things that come out of this, though, is what would you be able to say to animals? We think we're going to be able to have conversations, but in reality, animals' right. minds are not like ours. However, what about whales or elephants who have these mammoth brains and have a high intelligence? Would we be able to sit down and have an interview with the elephants? And let's, what what could that possibly look like? And I think that's really a, a perceptive question. That's the big question because we really don't know the, to the degree to which animals are <laughs> communicating with one another. What is the sophistication and the nuances of that communication, that's something that's completely unknown. Or even can and, animals communicate between species? We right. can't really other than go fetch, sit, lay down, roll over and play dead with Fido. And this line of questioning goes back to the, this idea that I brought up earlier is that many people see animal communication as this evolutionary stepping stone to what we do as human beings. But I would actually argue that when you get into the literature, the scientific literature where people are working in this area, it very quickly becomes evident that what we're doing as human beings is completely different than what the animals are doing when they can. Scholars will say that these animals are communicating in a bounded form. And what they mean by that is that there's certain sounds that they'll make that are communicating certain things but it's a very small set of sounds and ideas or that are being communicated back and forth between the animals. It, whereas we do as human beings is, again, radically different. We communicate with a limited number of sounds, but those sounds represent symbols. And those symbols then allow us to combine and recombine the, in such a way to create an infinite possibility when we communicate. So our communication is unbounded. And we're talking... And poetry and concepts that are be that are imaginative we have right. some commonality with animals i think of elephants for example mm-hmm. and mourning cries when you see sure. a, a, an elephant that's lost their baby and you you commiserate you can feel the right. pain the other elephants will, will come and make sounds that seem to be comforting them and right. we do tend to attribute a certain amount of anamorphism and to that, but there is indeed some commonality, right. but with limitation, you say. Yeah, and again, I think that what we're doing as human beings stands completely apart from what <laughs> animals are doing. And I think it it's a, allows us to make a case for human exceptionalism and from a Christian perspective, say that this is really an, reflecting the image of God. But I don't want to ever communicate this idea that animals aren't intelligent, aren't these creatures with these real emotions that we can connect with, that we can understand. Again, the danger, as you point out, is that we might anthropomorphize and over-attribute human qualities to these creatures. But nevertheless, they are, again, remarkable creatures in every sense of the word. 
But I, I think that there is a significant chasm between what we do and what these creatures do. And so, for example, people that are working in the evolutionary origin of language point out that you can't go from what animals are doing when they communicate through intermediate states that lead to what we do. It's like an all or nothing type of transition. Mm. There's no inner, this, may, this might help understand some of the problem or problems. For example, when animals communicate, what they communicate has to be true about the world that they live in. They, they have to be communicating real truth, real information. If, if you have a warning cry that a predator is coming, it's either true or it's not true. If it's not true, it compromises the survivability of the species. So there's no tolerance for error or miscommunication whatsoever. Now, when we communicate using symbolism, most scholars that study human communication will argue that we actually are communicating what they call institutional information, not information about the world, but institutional information where we look at the world and then we create these narratives about what, what's happening in the world. So most of our communication, Michelle, isn't actually true information. It's essentially these constructs that we've made that we then are communicating back and forth to one another. And some constructs are clearly imaginative. Others are an attempt to try to model what's going on in the world. Even like a scientific theory is in effect a falsehood because it's a model for what we think is going on. So in other words, that kind of communication doesn't lend itself to survivability and to go from communicating what is true to communicating these imaginative narratives, you can't have that, that, inter, that intermediate step. It has to be all or nothing. It's right? fascinating. And the creativity of it, and that's a really interesting point, the creation model. We're able to create things. Uh, we... You may find every species has the ability to create their own home, for example. A bird can build a nest. A, a spider, I, the incredible engineering of a spider web is astounding. But you don't have spiders getting together and saying, if I take my ability to do this and you do that, we could create... A, a city of right or and maybe an interconnecting tram that will take me from mine my spider web to your spider web we don't see that no. and, the, and the, not even a step in between that says a lot and it really begs you to think why are we so different why do we continue even when we're trying to draw conclusions fuzz with this and if you're watching i can show on screen they developed a i showed it a bit earlier you won't be able to see it very well but they developed this idea of we see all of these turtles for example and we think that we can whittle it back down to maybe its origin i think you said maybe a lungfish or something this vocalization proves it was with the first uttering of the first lungy type fish that crawled out of the goo and now we can say evolution is provable but it's still, as it always has been, a real reach and worth talking about. Let's see, are there other possibilities? To me, the way I look at what's been discovered in this study is that this capacity for animals to communicate really reflects a quality that a creator has imbued all creatures with, that this is a part of what 
I think allows these creatures to survive, but I think it also communicates something about the creator himself, that, that, that the creator is producing this incredibly fascinating, marvelous world where there are these beautiful creatures, these unusual creatures that, that do these remarkable things that we as image bearers can immerse ourselves in that world and just revel in the beauty and the fascination of, of what God has made. And so th that's how I would actually see this study is that it just simply reflecting an archetypical quality that the creator has instituted into these different creatures. Cons consistency too. And we see a consistency right. throughout creation of communication, of, of nurture, of there's so many right. things that we can see that are continuous things that run throughout living beings. Yeah. And the fact that we see this consistent bio biologists, we call it homologies, these shared features means that science is actually possible, or at least the life ah. sciences are possible. Because now you can study turtles, <laughs> and from what turtles have done, you can extrapolate this now across the animal kingdom because of the similar biological designs. Part of their argument was that all these creatures have lungs, and so lungs expel air that go through vocal, that go through larynx that create a variety of sounds. Or that the brain structure of these animals has common features that look as if it's supporting a capacity to, to not only generate vocalization, but interpret vocalization. And so that sh those shared structures allow us to have this elaborate theory of animal communication. The world was different than, than that science or that scientific insight would simply be very hard won, if even possible at all. And so from a creation model perspective, I see these shared features is not reflecting common descent, but common design, and a common design where the creator wants us to understand the world that we live in, hmm. in part, I think, to appreciate his glory and majesty as a creator, but in part, it unleashes his providence as well, helping us to, uh, to understand the world and then taking advantage of that for our benefit. And this idea, going back to this idea of maybe understanding how what animals are saying and being able to communicate with animals. Well, that unleashes God's providence. The fact that's even possible suggests that God has put in place within this creation things that await our discovery. And when we discover it, just unleashes more and more of God's provision for us. It's also you know, humbling. It's very it humbling because up until this point, it was these animals do not speak to each other. You could have sat in class in a college course and they would have communicated that as though it was fact. And now we know so much more. It really shows us our finite ability to of our finite information. We don't know everything, but yet we continue to discover more, whether it's with animals or whether it's what's happening in, in, in the cosmos. But there is a continuity, as you point out, throughout the entire universe that shows order, it shows design, it shows purpose. The question is, what is that purpose. When I thought of this topic today, Fuzz, I was thinking of the scripture that says, if we don't praise him, the rocks would cry out. 
recently there were studies that were showing that trees might actually have a form of communication with each other. Does that show intelligence or does that show you know, what part of life is? We, that may be a subject for another show. But it seems like everything in the universe has some kind of vibration or uh, ability to communicate or s- energy or something. And all of it just seems to come down to an incredible design. And right. maybe the whole universe is made to give honor and praise to God. Me, the, there, when I think about this study, and it's, I'm going going to go down the same lines that you are going, Michelle. The world that we live in is not only full of design and purpose, and that purpose in design is so elegant and sophisticated, but there, there's an artistry, there's a beauty to the creation as well. And so often we like to think about God as this divine engineer where everything is perfectly ordered for a purpose. And I think that that's true about the world that we live in. But also I just see this artistic flair. <laughs> yeah. I, I, see, I see a creator that does things that with a certain element of frivolity for no other reason than just creating something that is beautiful that then we as human beings who are made in his image can actually enjoy and revel in. And we're talking about, again, our open-ended generative capacity to communicate, unbounded communication, and that leads to our creativity. But if we're made in God's image and God is a creator who is an artist, and we are creators too, there's like a deep fellowship that I think happens between God and human beings when we start to communicate, or not, sorry, when we start to create, that, that creative capacity, yes. I think, connects us in a, in a, to the heart of God in a way that nothing else does. And, and so when we, when we start thinking about creating these AI systems that allow us to communicate with these animals, it's going to open up a relationship with these animals that we would never have even imagined and I think it's going to reveal God in way, new ways. But that was going to be my next question is that, okay, this is just going out on the crazy. Let's just use our imagination here. But what do animals know about God? Yeah. Do they have an understanding of a creator? Or can they have an understanding? Even if it's rudimentary, what is it, if anything? I, I guess I'm just going out on a limb here, yeah. but the imagination really does go wild when you think about, which, again, shows human exceptionalism. So, yeah. <laughs> boom, back to square one. There is something amazing about how we are created. It is so exciting that science is even possible, as you mentioned, Fuzz, when we have these new discoveries of things we, it was settled science, right? Wasn't it pretty much settled science? These animals were mute. And now we know otherwise. To me, very basic God story right there is we don't know nothing. And there's so much more. The more we discover, the more we realize we don't know. Yeah. One of the things that I found interesting too, is that is these scientists that have made this discovery are now saying maybe we need to actually spend time with indigenous people groups who have a deeper connection to nature and who probably are already aware (laughs) of a lot of the behaviors that animals engage in that are part of the world that they live in that, that we as scientifically advanced people seem to be completely oblivious to. And so this goes to your point about humility, right? Is that it's very tempting to think 
because we are armed with scientific tools and technology that somehow we are we're ascended. Really, yeah, but in fact, maybe we're not as much as we think we are. And maybe there's a deeper understanding of nature that's available to us by spending time in learning from indigenous people who really have that deep, intimate connection with the land. It is amazing to think of something as simple as the complexity of the order of an ant farm or the dance of a bee as a beekeeper myself, watching bees, they go out, they forage, they come back with pollen. They're like the ladies at the makeup counter with the perfume. Would you like a sample? Would you like a sample? And all these bees come up and they're like, oh yeah. And when they find one that they really, they're all around and they're like, where did you get it? Where can I get it? Oh, here, you just go down to the store this way, take a left at this corner. And they do this dance and it's in relation to the sun. It is so complex. The other bees learn the dance and they know where to go. The com- that complexity, yeah. I don't think there's enough billions of years to develop that level of communication. Come on. And that's just in, the, in a beehive. That's just what we know from bees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Screams of design. But again, I just marvel at creator's ingenuity, but also that, that artistry and that beauty in what the bees are doing. It, it's just such a beautiful thing. And in what would a creator look like who would create that kind of a world? And that's the argument from beauty, right, is, is that indeed there is a creator who is a good creator who's all-powerful that we would expect the world that he would create to be beautiful. And if we're made in his image, we would expect that we should be able to appreciate that beauty because if the world is just the, a brute reality made by materialistic mechanisms, why would it be beautiful and if we're the product of evolution, why? what advantage would we have to appreciate beauty? And so the Christian worldview makes sense of the beauty of the world and our aesthetic sense, that our ability to appreciate that beauty, and in turn, to try to create things that are beautiful ourselves. And that's where I'm going to leave it today and ask you as you're watching, listening, or viewing, to ask yourself that question, what worldview best takes everything we've talked about today and all that you can see in the world around us and make sense of it. What worldview makes the most sense that explains it with a consistency, a logical outcome? Think about that because Fuzz and I would argue a biblical worldview has the answers. And if it has the answers in science, then it has the answers in your life as well. Thank you so much, Fuzz. It's always a pleasure to have you with me. We will catch you next time. We'll have links to Fuzz's books and of course, reasons.org. Thanks for listening, watching, and viewing. More SciTech Talk at mymichellelive.com.